The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Allowing yourself to pay some attention to how your body, heart, and mind are as you arrive here today. Noticing your attitude towards yourself, towards sitting, right in this moment. bringing any ease to how you are. Ease to allow space for whatever is happening right now. Allowing it space and ease to be just as it is. Allowing yourself to notice as you're sitting any tendency to want things to be different than they are right now. Allowing yourself to notice any scatteredness or lack of clarity. Notice if your mind is jumping around or is settling in. And however it is, allowing it ease to be and to be noticed.
In addition to noticing if there's anything that you're pushing away or wanting to be different than it is, notice if there's anything you're wanting to stay or you're wanting more of. Noticing if you have any ideas at all, any views about how you are supposed to be in this sitting. Allowing any and all experiences that you are having to be here. No need to control anything. Just being present for what's arising, what's visiting, and what's passing.
sitting with as much ease as is possible in this moment without the need for it to be any different than it is moment to moment. And if what you're noticing is lack of ease, just being with that. Letting awareness take in what arises next, what arises now, what passes now, what's present right now. in the breath, in the body, in feelings. coming and going. yourself to appreciate as the moments arise and pass when there is an absence of any wanting for things to be different than they are, an absence of any pushing experience away. You're free when you're free of greed free of aversion, allowing yourself to appreciate the absence of those forms of suffering.
allowing yourself to appreciate any clarity around being here and noticing what's happening. Appreciating mindfulness. So welcome back to our third month of the Eightfold Path. We are um, coming off of a month of studying right view and um, entering the second of the wisdom factors, which is called right intention. So hopefully this month you got a chance to experience for yourself a little bit around how um, actions have consequences. We experience that every day, but being able to mindfully notice how this process of kama, which is action, brings either the path towards more stress and more suffering or brings freedom from those in your life. And maybe you've got just a little taste of paying attention to the Four Noble Truths deliberately. You know, what is actually causing stress and suffering in your life? Um, and maybe looking into that a little more deeply, were there views that were underneath that? Were, were there attitudes, ideas, opinions that were causing some stress and suffering? So looking at the causes, second noble truth. Maybe you even had some little experiences of suffering coming to an end or stress coming to an end. Even in a moment of meditation, if that tendency to want things to be different than they are lifts off and you're just being with how things are right now. It's a little mini moment of freedom. 
And then, of course, we're studying this Eightfold Path as the way to bring about this, that total cessation of suffering and stress and the causes of suffering and stress and get to a place where we're not only walking the path, we're actually embodying the path. So the end of this path is you are showing up with right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. You're the living, breathing embodiment of it. So this is, I love this path for that reason, getting to participate in something that is going to be liberation itself as we uncover our suffering, um, show it the light of day, and start to experience more freedom. So, um, anything else about this month? Um, Maybe you've had a chance by now, if you signed up for a mentor, to at least be in touch with your mentor, or if you're in a group, to be in touch with your small group. And any other business stuff we have to have? No? Okay. So with that, let's jump right into right intention, which will allow us to take right view and put it into action. So, right intention. I want to talk a little bit first about investigating intentions. Um, And a little bit the synergy of intention with the other path factors. So Liz has just mentioned how intention can come right out of view. It's out of our views that we form our intentions. And then it takes mindfulness to be aware of your intentions. If you have an intention, it takes a balanced sort of effort to carry it out, so there's effort. And of course, what intentions lead to is speech and action and ways of making a living in this world. And in a way, concentration is also, it's quite important because it's the calming factor that lets the mind settle to where you can really see some of these intentions. And also it's the factor that brings some pleasure and joy into your life that helps to enable you to have wholesome intentions. So intention is one of the factors that is very uh, involved in all the other factors. So can we cultivate the habit of checking in with our intentions? Ideally before we act, but also really fruitfully afterwards. Just taking the questions of where, where am I coming from What am I aiming at here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Taking them seriously. Taking them into your body. And see if you can see where, where, what's the felt sense? Let it unpack itself and reveal. Often our intentions are mixed. You know, what, what, a little of this, a little of that. And we can't really see what we're trying to do. Or often they might shift in the course of a conversation that starts out just a, a sort of a, expressing some difference of opinion and then quickly it gets into hurt and then it gets into really wanting to kind of hurt back the other person and so the intention has slid off from something that's fairly straightforward into something that's a little bit of verbal cruelty 
And so it's very interesting to stay in tune with your intention. And don't be afraid to see a few layers of not so virtuous, not so ideal intentions coming up because we all have those. We're all shaped by these protective and self-soothing habits and they may have served you in the past when that's the best you can do. I like uh, Tan Jeff's, uh, he talks about the committee in the mind. You know, So you need to get to know the committee in your mind, all the forces. You know, sometimes I think of the seven dwarfs, like sleepy and grumpy and happy. And you know, who's, who's actually involved in the decision of what you're doing in the moment? What's, what factors are there? What people from your past are whispering in your ear as, and influencing what you're doing in the present? And also take time to notice the protective value of wise intentions when you carry them out. Even if we can't control the result of what other people think of what we do or what actually happens, it's very protective to know that you were coming from a good place when you did that. I like a story of the Dalai Lama in Hollywood where some people were criticizing him for being too chummy with movie stars and things like that around the causes for Tibet. And he was just quiet for a moment, reflective, and he said, oh, my intentions were good. And I always find that very moving because, you know, you can be criticized for how you go about all kinds of things. But he just took a moment to check that his intentions were good. And so he was okay with what was unfolding there. So as we live more intentionally and less just pushed around by our habits and reactivity, then we begin to develop new habits that are more rooted in wisdom. The intention to turn towards the practice and towards the path factors. And very often, the intention that's needed is the intention to pause and check in and see where you are and sort of set aside the more, you know, agenda-driven intentions and see if you can bring a practice intention up to the forefront. And seeing how hard that this is, how hard it is to do this, and how seldom we manage to do this, maybe that's a motivation for more actual meditation practice and more time uh, working with the path and dharma. So the Buddha in identified three roots of wise intention, and they're called renunciation, non-ill will, and non-cruelty. And there's various positive translations of those last two. So renunciation, I'm going to talk about a little, and Liz will talk about non-ill will and non-cruelty, or usually change to loving kindness and harmlessness, non-harming. Renunciation is a word that can be very off-putting to many people when they first hear it. It sounds very severe. Um, so maybe you can find some positive values that help you tune in to the flavor of this intention. Things like simplicity, selectivity, sobriety, freedom, contentment. Now, all these things are different than the grasping and having the move to always have and hold and hang on to and get and be and be seen as and be doing and be busy and all that. Um, this is actually another time they were asking uh, the Dalai Lama what, what were some positive emotions because he talks a lot about afflictive emotions. And the Tibetans for example, don't generally consider some of the positive things to fall under the category of emotions. But he thought, he, he thought well, um, the renunciation and is a positive emotion. 
And uh, the, the book that I was reading about this translated it as the spirit of emergence. The spirit of emergence from being inside that cloud where you're completely driven by your wants and needs. It's associated in the, the word is nekama in the Buddhist tradition. It's associated with sort of going forth and committing to the spiritual life, committing to live a life of, that isn't based on, on grasping and clinging at, typically at sense pleasures, first of all. It's also comforting to me that at first even the Buddha didn't get it. He says to himself, even I myself, before my awakening, I thought renunciation is good, but my heart didn't leap up at renunciation, <laughs> didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, see, didn't see it as peace. And then I thought, what's the cause? Why, why, why is this so? And then I thought, because I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. So this is a phase that the Buddha went through where he saw it was a good idea, but he really didn't get it in his heart, you know. And so I think a lot of us are there. I don't know, I'm there a lot of the time. Like, oh yeah, it's a good idea, but I really want the whatever. And it needs to be balanced with really taking the time to look into what is it that you think you're getting out of this and what are you missing out by focusing entirely on having these things. Or you might already be quite clear that some form of addiction is really running your life and you're ready to use the strong power of this word along with the rest of the path and any other, any other form of help you can get to find your way through that. So we're really looking at when our desires for pleasure and comfort get entangled with being used to serve ends that they can't really meet. When, they're being, when we're looking to that for lasting satisfaction or as substitutes for deeper ways to work with our discomfort, with the discomfort of life. You know, we can kind of think that life is about just one pleasant experience after another and finish that one and start planning for the next one and chain those together and then it's over and that was life. But there's actually more to, more, more is possible. So um, the dynamic of craving is that it can't really get at the root of what it's promising to give or fix. And you need more and more until you eventually, you know, you overdose or you get sick of it or you just live enslaved to this cycle of chasing ephemeral fixes. So traditionally, this, this in wise intention of renunciation is usually mentioned as opposed to grasping at sense pleasures. But on a more subtle level, the mind is a sense too. One of our chief addictions these days is to information and opinions, you may have noticed. You know, just more, more information, more opinions, more knowledge. Um, it's also possible, I like Philip Moffat has a section in his book where he talks about ego renunciations. And he recommends looking at three ways of renouncing self-centeredness. Renouncing the idea of clinging to being right. It's a big one. Renouncing, measuring our life by getting what you want. Is success equal getting what you want or is there more to it than that? And the third one I love, renouncing being the star of your own movie. So, so this thought that the whole universe revol revolves around me and hey, this is my view, you know, and what a, 
what about the other 10 billion people? <laughs> and, you know, so, so those are interesting ways to look at a uh, different kind of renunciation. And there are also several ways that the path, the practice of the whole path, helps us to let go of reliance on clinging to these unwise kinds of things. It's not like, we're really not talking about, I hope you don't take up this month as a long guilt trip of looking at everything you enjoy and trying to stop it and feeling that you should stop it. It's really not about the objects. It's not about any particular thing that you do or don't actually, you know, isn't actually wise, soothing for you in the moment. It's really about looking at, you're just starting to ask the question, look at the relationships you have with these things and what is actually serving you and what actually isn't. And wha- how are you how are you overusing something that you could do something wiser, maybe? So there are several ways that the practice as a whole helps. The calming aspects of the meditation practice itself, getting to know the breath, coming in, learning to inhabit our bodies, just practicing the intention of letting go and relaxing the all the little fists and the heart and mind that are hanging on to this and that. It's something that we can practice in big and small ways as much as we can. And this allows the nervous system itself to begin to relax and heal so that it's not always on edge needing a different kind of soothing all the time. You have this wholesome way of soothing yourself. And it gives rise to new forms of pleasure and happiness and joy and peace that are more appealing really than, you know, necessarily the more rowdy ways that you might be used to amusing yourself. In the practice of mindfulness and awareness, we see how things really work and we learn to recognize, you know, what is triggering us into our particular form of fight or flight or shutting down or whatever, whatever the mechanism is that sends us off running for food or the drug of our choice or television or whatever it is that we feel that we might be using too much of reading the internet. And then the practices of loving-kindness and compassion, um, which are the other two intentions that Liz will talk about, they deepen our sense of belonging and support and relationship. And it begins to resolve some of the deeper pieces, some of the holes in our heart that we can try to be filling with sense pleasures. I I saw a movie about uh, the Hindu teacher Yogananda recently, and there was a little scene where someone asked him, do I have to give up... uh, he listed off whatever his favorite things to do were. Do I have to give all this up? And the teacher said, I'm not telling you you have to give it up, but if you keep practicing, you might find that you don't want to do these things anymore. <laughs> and I think that's really the spirit of this, is trying to understand what's actually serving us. So maybe there are some areas of your life where you know that you have a habit of turning to some kind of indulgence in the consumption-oriented way and this temporary pleasure is not really serving you and you're ready to investigate it. So when we first turn to these we might run up against resistance or anxiety in relation to our control over our ability to soothe ourselves. It, it, it can often give rise to this the dynamics of this battle of I should, I shouldn't but I want to or I should but I don't want to. And this is overcome by the more we can really see for ourselves, not just project, you know, some Buddhist authority said I shouldn't do this, but really seeing for yourself what is the harm in it, what is not serving you, 
And if you see for yourself the downside, then you begin to own the wisdom of really addressing it. And you can see that hopefully if you check out like what all the inner committee members are involved in the pros and cons of doing this, then maybe you can find this larger observing presence that can actually find a sense of empowerment and and pleasure in being bigger than the situation and able to see all the players and see what's going on and offer compassion to the parts of you that are wanting some soothing and offer some support to the parts of you that are wanting to experiment with something different. So there's a there's a an empowering sense of being able to see all this a little more objectively. Becoming an explorer and reclaiming your own authority for what's really good for you, not just following your habits. So just a few things you might observe. I'm just observing what we're doing here. Okay. <laughs> um, not force, not running, forcing to run to change all these habits right away, but learning to observe. Maybe some things you can learn to observe before and during and after you work with these habits. There's so many things that I'm still working on, years, things I see aren't very good for me, but I keep doing them. But I keep learning from it, and I'm learning, if nothing else, compassion, you know, for the part of me that really needs to do this, and learning, strengthening my mindfulness. I can watch a whole movie pretty mindfully these days, and see, oh yes, there I'm being manipulated in this way, and there I'm being manipulated in that way, and gee, I really don't enjoy this, and yes, I can see what's coming a mile away in this kind of plot, you know, and is that interesting? Not really, but, you know, so I've learned a lot from really, you know, going ahead and doing something that I'm in a strong habit of doing, but trying to increase the mindfulness and the observation of what's going on. So if you can, try to be aware of what, what triggers this particular thing that you would like to look into. It might be when you're in a low energy state. It might be when you're in a very high wired kind of energy state. It might be anxiety, a fear. It might be a reward. I've noticed that I have a, a strong habit from childhood of rewarding. When I feel good and I finish something, it's time to have a snack or something. You know, that It's a reward. And so... Um, you know, and often it's just the sight of it. Simply seeing something can make me want to have it. And so part of what we're learning to work with is what's called guarding the sense doors. And that really means looking at, noticing the act of seeing. It was very interesting to me to see how powerful this can be. Not all the time is it available, but when it is, to really notice that I'm, that the act of seeing is happening. And that in looking at something if I'm really tuned into the fact that I'm looking at it, then I'm really present and I'm not so immediately sucked into what to my habits around that thing. So noticing that seeing is happening, or you might notice that hearing and listening to the news, for example, maybe you're triggered by events or things that you typically hear in the news. So every time before I open anything to do with the news, I really set myself to be aware that hearing is going to be happening or seeing is going to be happening, and input is going to be happening, and I try to set myself to be aware of that, so that I stay aware of that as long as I can <laughs> through through whatever input I'm letting in, and then you have more of a chance to connect to, to your reactivity. Also, this is a moment to really understand that second noble truth. What is craving? What is the felt sense of craving? 
It's actually, I found it quite satisfying to stay with, if we can identify in the body, somewhere around here, somewhere is that craving for something. If you can find that feeling and stay with it, it can be satisfying just to be really feeling what's going on there. And something is kind of, with the warmth of attention and compassionate care, something is sort of unwinding and it's getting what it seems to really deeply need not to be once again smothered with food or distracted by some entertainment and so you can really come to understand a lot about craving as I said earlier if you are going to do it try staying with it try giving yourself permission to do it but I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to really feel where is the actual moment of pleasure in this cookie or this movie you know, and you begin to see how fleeting it is and you begin to see that it's just, there's a second of something and then it's time for more or then it's kind of dissatisfying in some way. If there's a sense of relief, is it really from the sense object itself or, or is it from the end of the struggle with shall I or shall I not have it, you know? And, and if it, in some ways I feel it's often the end of desire you know, it's the fact that the desire is ending that gives you the relief more than that you actually had the thing or did the thing or something. So you can look at that. And then afterwards you can study that effect. You can notice then long-term contradictory results like dullness or, or discomfort or more agitation or something. That, what is the actual result of this habit? And it's a slow process of connecting the dots between uh, the urge to indulge in a habit that isn't very skillful, and in the end, what's the end result? That might be, you know, hours later, there's some end result that you begin to notice. So just putting this all together as an experiment in getting to know what's going on, not seeing if you can really be aware of when that that uh, should voice or that, oh, I have to do this or I'm supposed to do this, any of that kind of stuff is coming into it. But just really looking at what's going on and as much interest and compassion and a part of right view that I don't think we emphasized enough really is seeing things as causes and conditions that are impersonally happening due to their lawful nature. You know, things are unfolding. You want this for due to you know, long practice of indulging in something. And is that really, you know, and I'm not just talking about sense pleasures, but arguing and having your own way and a certain attitude or a way you are in, in relationships, anything that you feel like is something you that involves clinging and grasping that you might like to see if you can find more ease and let go around. So I find it very helpful to consider what might you let go into. You know, it's one thing, that we talked a little about the positive words, but just letting go versus letting go into. You can let go into a confidence in awareness, a confidence in the joy of investigation, uh, a sense of the intimate contact with the re reality of the present moment. So it's so much more satisfying to eat a meal, say a simple meal on retreat where there's only tofu and rice or something and I'm really eating it and I'm paying attention, I'm really there with it and the pleasure of being there with each moment of it is so much greater than all the junk food that I've kind of wolfed down over the years. And I know that and so I can bring that to mind sometimes and you know, really appreciate that that's 
that that's worth it. Also the sense that you're getting at the truth. Bhikkhu Bodhi says, real security always lies on the side of the truth, not on the side of comfort. You know, so there's something about there's something about just comfort that's a little bit false comfort if it isn't really based in the truth of what's going to serve you in the long term. And compassion for the parts of yourself that need soothing by really feeling into them and not just condemning them or turning away from them or putting them down. I want to read this uh, piece from Bhikkhu Bodhi here. To move from desire to renunciation is not, as might be imagined, to move from happiness to grief, from abundance to destitution. It is to pass from gross entangling pleasures to an exalted happiness and peace, from a condition of servitude to one of self-mastery. Desire ultimately breeds fear and sorrow, but renunciation gives fearlessness and joy. And I came across this wonderful... uh, quote from a guy who builds canoes in Maine. He's a guide on canoe trips. He says, boat building is a form of concentration. Each one of these canoes springs out of me, my hands, more importantly my mind, my absence of distracting thoughts. I don't work with a radio on. It's me and the cedar. I don't feel I've given up anything really. What other people call pleasure to me is a delusion. The only things I gave up were all those things that kept me from living in beauty. So I hope that's the spirit that we can approach this month with. What's keeping you from living in beauty? You know? And so uh, those are my thoughts on skillfully approaching this word renunciation has a wise intention, and also just investigating your intentions, whatever they may be, and getting to know what it feels like to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Where am I coming from? And is it wholesome or not wholesome to the best of your understanding? So we'd like to have a breakout session, and I think there might be at least one or more people here who haven't been here before. And I just want to emphasize a couple things about this format that we use in these breakout sessions. We get in groups of four, and we just go around, and each person shares something. And the whole point of this practice is for each person to really connect with themselves, with what you might want to say that seems true enough in the moment. It's not the whole story on on any of these questions, because you've only got a couple minutes but just something that you feel comfortable sharing. And then the group is asked to refrain from directly commenting on what the person said or responding or offering any kind of fixes or suggestions or anything like that. So you really don't have to spend the time in your own mind trying to think of what you're going to say next or what any of that because you're just to listen. You just listen. When it's your turn, then you are really listening to yourself. You know, not so much what other people think because you're not going to hear what other people think. It's just a chance to speak your own, practice saying out loud something that seems true to you and to hear what other people have to say as a kind of offering that we're not going to comment on. Is that clear enough? Okay, so hopefully it's a very safe space, but it's also optional. If this is just really more than you want to engage in, then you're welcome to take a walk and come back at at 2 o'clock or so. 
Um, so let's see. I will tell you now what the questions are, and then you can get in groups of four, and you're welcome to spread out. We'll have a break right after this, so you're welcome to spread out and go out into the even outdoors if, if you can find room. So here's the question. So thinking of some habit that you feel is not serving you, something you're really ready to look at in your life. And you could say a little bit about what you've observed about that experience, about working with it, its power or its workability or something. And then consider what you might let go into instead. So what positive value might you come, might come to your aid in working with this? Okay. So I would like somebody, since we're such a large group, um, somebody within the, each group can just time the session, uh, giving each person three minutes each to speak, and we'll just go around, okay? And it's fine when, you're, when three minutes are up, just say time, and they, the person has permission to do that, and then just wrap up the sentence that you're on and go on to the next person, okay? All right, so please get in groups of four. And, uh, you know, hopefully in the course of the year here, you'll meet some new people. So go for some mix of new and old people and... <laughs>